The following program is a PBS Wisconsin original production. We have an agreement on a transformational shared revenue deal uh, that will also have the largest expansion of school choice uh, since the program was originally founded. At the state capitol, legislative leaders and the governor shake hands on shared revenue and school funding. And farther afield, smoke from Canadian wildfires creates dangerous air quality around the country and here in Wisconsin. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Tonight on Here and Now, we get the latest on the shared revenue package hammered out late this week. Stephen Potter reports on funding for K-12 schools. We talk to an expert on the recent problems with air quality, and a former state senator joins to discuss a new bipartisan push to eliminate election misinformation. It's Here and Now for June 9th. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin. The headline from the state capitol, there's a shared revenue deal and a school funding package. On the first, that's good news for local governments across Wisconsin, who've been sounding the alarm on the need for an infusion of state funding, especially for police and fire services. The shared revenue package was designed to do just that, giving 20% of the money the state collects from the sales tax to local governments. But how the package treats Milwaukee nearly fell apart this week and threatened to put state budget work on hold. Milwaukee was originally given a 10% increase with the ability to raise more in sales tax, the additional bump tied to voters there. But Milwaukee, facing insolvency, worried the vote would fail. Legislative leaders were split and under tight deadline to come to an agreement with the governor. By week's end, there was an agreement, and then some, including on school funding. We turn to Wisconsin Public Radio Capital Bureau Chief Sean Johnson for details. And hi, Sean. Hi, Fred. So what is in this most important shared revenue package? I think we've been hearing about the broad strokes for weeks and months right now, and all those are still in there. You're going to have a portion of the state's sales tax, 20% of the state's sales tax going forward will be dedicated to local governments. So as sales tax grows, local governments will get more money, which is a far cry from what they've been the last 20 years when they saw their fixed budget from the state cut three times. As far as like the percentage of money that they get, it's gonna vary. Towns are gonna get a larger percentage increase, but cities will get a larger dollar increase. Everybody will get at least a 20% increase in the package that was released this week. And then there are those provisions in Milwaukee that were the most contentious, but very key to that city that'll let Milwaukee raise its sales tax by 2% and the county raise its sales tax by 0.4% without going to voters. Exactly. So does this end up then being a, a, a better deal in terms of shared revenue for local governments than was originally proposed by uh, Republican legislators? Yeah, I mean, I think if you measure it just against what has been proposed this year, they originally came out with a 10% floor for state payments to local governments. Governor Tony Evers said, you know, you've got to increase that funding or I'm going to veto this bill. The Assembly passed a version that had a 15% minimum. The version that came out in the deal this week between Governor Tony Evers and Republican leaders hits a 20% floor. 
So just by the numbers, that's a better deal. There are still all these restrictions on local governments in terms of how they can spend the money. You know, they have to maintain what they're spending on police, for example, or they would be financially penalized. They can't spend the money, in Milwaukee's case, on the streetcar, or in any case, on diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. But just from a money standpoint, this deal is better than where Republicans started a month or so ago. As to the school uh, funding part, um, how does that shape up? We don't have a lot of details beyond what they said in a press conference and a press release this week. But it sounds like they're going to set aside a billion dollars between state and local property tax funding for schools. And then there will also be uh, funding dedicated to literacy, to school mental health, uh, to special education. If you look at that total, um, you know, it's bigger than Republican lawmakers have approved in years past, assuming the state does fund somewhere close to a billion dollars. Uh, it's smaller than the nearly two and a half billion dollars that the governor proposed when he introduced his budget, though, earlier this year. So with about 30 seconds left, if, if there aren't too many details out there, too much, not too much meat on the bone for public consumption, uh, presumably it's still being worked up? You know, I think you're going to see the Republican uh, element of the education budget released in the coming weeks. Um, but the deal is seemingly set uh, for this shared revenue package. They did say they want to get Democratic votes for it. We'll see how it shakes out. All right, uh, Sean Johnson, thanks very much for joining us from the Capitol. Thanks, Fred. For more on how the state budget will treat school funding and the numbers negotiated between the legislature and the governor, here and now reporter Stephen Potter has details. I ask that you support closing the funding gap across all sectors of education in the state of Wisconsin. So that As students prepare for another summer, lawmakers have now decided on details for one of the most contentious and expensive parts of the state budget process, and that's funding for Wisconsin's K-12 schools. Like past budgets, everyone from education officials to teachers and parents have been asking for an increase in school funding. I'm really scared about the state of Wisconsin's public education system right now. We've historically under-resourced our kids for 40 years now, imposing just measure after measure that makes it harder and harder for kids to keep up and catch up. And That's Heather Dubois-Bernan of the nonprofit advocacy group known as the Wisconsin Public Education Network. She says that some 40% of the testimony at the recent Joint Finance Committee hearings around the state have been educators, school board members, and other state residents asking for an increase in public education funding. It is absolutely crucial for DeForest and all Wisconsin public schools that this biennial budget makes up for what failed to do the last time by providing schools with an adequate and recurring funds by which we can operate effectively on. Dubois-Bernan says one of the primary problems facing the state's public education system is a teacher shortage. One of the reasons that we have such a teacher crisis right now in Wisconsin is because we don't have a system where every district can afford to provide, you know, a living wage level of pay for all educators. According to early details about a deal between Democratic Governor Tony Evers and Republican leaders in the state legislature, the two sides have agreed to an increase in education funding in the upcoming state budget by $1 billion. That money will come from a mix of state aid and property taxes. It includes an increase of $97 million for special education, 
and an increase of $30 million for student mental health initiatives. The new education funding package also includes state money for the private school choice voucher program. Specifically there, students in kindergarten through eighth grade voucher programs will get about $1,000 more annually, and high school students in the voucher program will get $3,000 more per year. Nick Kelly is the president of the nonprofit advocacy group known as School Choice Wisconsin. He says there are many reasons why people choose private schools. Some people will do it in terms of academics, some will do it in terms of um, situations that they resulted from a relationship with the public school, they want out. Some people do it for religious reasons. Um, but it's really what an internal dynamic of a family wants. Kelly says that the $7 billion state revenue surplus provides a lot of incentive for the school choice funding increase. Now's the time is because parents are calling for it, right? It, it's not an agenda of any one individual group. It's the voice of the parents and the families across the state that want these opportunities and finding an education that is going to fit their child's needs. Dubois Bernan says an increase in school funding is the right thing to do right now. What kids need is pretty simple. And if we just put our funding priorities where those priority needs are, we could fix most of what's wrong with um, how we do school funding in the state tomorrow. Let's just do it. For Here and Now, I'm Stephen Potter. The ace of state budget number crunching who's seen his share of capital turmoil is Bob Lang. He's the director of the Legislative Fiscal Bureau and has been for more than 40 years. He guides budget writers through their numbers and attaches fiscal notes to legislative bills, which undersells by a lot his role. It's a nonpartisan position in a very partisan world, but it also takes extreme financial savvy and expertise. We turn to Bob Lang for that now, and thanks very much for being Thank here. Thank you. So much. we were just off reporting about this deal hatched uh, for the shared revenue <clears throat> package. Why would budget negotiations have had to wait uh, for that bill to be hashed uh, before proceeding? We, we sort of have two tracks going on, and the shared revenue was really track one that started prior to the budget even being introduced. And uh, there was an interest on the part of the governor and an interest of, on the part of the legislators to dedicate a portion of the state sales tax to local governments in this program we call shared revenue. And as a very brief background, the state, the state enacted the first income tax in the country in 1911. At that time, the state prohibited local governments from having a local income tax, but pledged in 1911 that the state would share its revenues with local governments. Hence the shared revenue program that has been there forever. And much of the time it was there, it actually was taking portions of sales taxes and other taxes and dedicating them to local aids to local governments, towns, villages, cities, counties. So for the last 20 years or so, there's really been no increase in shared revenue payments to local governments. We've gotten off the formulas that were there and they've basically been quite flat. And so the governor and the legislature both felt we should dedicate a portion of sales taxes, one cent of the five cents. It's about about a billion five hundred million a year. We would dedicate to local governments for a number of local government programs, one of them being the shared revenue formula. And and so that bill had another major component, and that was to attempt to assist the city and the county of Milwaukee 
because they're dealing with some, some serious fiscal issues there. So the two main elements were the amount of money given back to local governments and ways to address Milwaukee's situation both in the county and in the city. And it was a separate track. Now the budget began, budget came in February 15th. Joint Committee on Finance has been working on it really since then. We're very seriously working on it now, hope to finish by July 1. But it was sort of a two-track process and they became sort of intertwined a day or two ago. That's right, intertwined uh, because uh, they also announced the K-12 uh, funding package right. kind of at the same time. Right. How complicated are fitting all these pieces together in a spending bill this big with so many moving parts? Well, it, it, it's, 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 it, it, it's not a, a simple task, clearly. So when we have two bills, the money will be in one bill, in another bill will be aspects that will require money in the second bill and so uh, we're sort of navigating ourselves through this sort of two-step process. So you just said that um, because things are now kind of moving, right. uh, unclogged, they're moving along right. quickly, right. Um, you think that uh, the work will be completed by July 1, which I, of course is the start of the new fiscal. I think the legislature is very set on passing the bill through the Finance Committee and both houses of the legislature by July 1, and they are on target to do so. So as to this uh, biennial budget, by any measure, um, it could be regarded uh, as budget writers working with a massive surplus, this $7 billion surplus. Right. Where'd that come from? It's, it's really interesting. It really came about through the pandemic. And, and I think in March or so of 2020, when everybody thought, everything was going to collapse. The federal government came in with numerous bills that really helped not only governments, but individuals and businesses. And in the state of Wisconsin in total, we probably got about $58 billion. Some of it went to individuals, checks. Some of it went on unemployment insurance, checks that were increased. Some of it went to help businesses. Some of it went to help governments. And during that time, we had inflation starting to creep up and basically our sales tax collections were looking strong. And then because of the help that the federal government gave to businesses and others so they wouldn't really go under and would keep payrolls there, income taxes and corporate taxes were really strong. So we actually ended the 2021 fiscal year with about 2.6 billion, which was a large number for mm -hmm. us in terms of a balance. The end of 21-22, it went to 4.3 billion, and now it's about 7 billion that we expect within about two and a half weeks on June 30th of this year. So it's really accumulated over that period of time. But as you indicated, it is it is the largest amount of surplus money that the state has ever had going into a budget period. I wish we could talk more about that, but our, our time is up, and good okay. luck to you and, and the budget riders uh, in the final throes of this biennial okay. budget. Thank, Thank you. you. Enjoy Bye -bye. being here. Thank you very much. In election news, following conspiracies on steroids in the 2020 presidential race, as a formidable swing state, Wisconsin is now gearing up for 2024.
With that, a new chapter of the group called Keep Our Republic launched here this week. It's a bipartisan advisory council designed to build trust, respect, and confidence in the Wisconsin election system. Members in Wisconsin include former Democratic Lieutenant Governor Barbara Lawton, former Representative David Bowen, a Milwaukee Democrat, and former Governor Tommy Thompson. Director of the Wisconsin Keep Our Republic is former Republican State Senator and longtime county election clerk Kathy Bernier. She joins us now from Chippewa Falls, and thanks very much for being here. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. So how do you build trust, respect, and confidence in the Wisconsin Election Administration and system? Well, it starts with education and um, building knowledge among the average electorate. And so that is our mission, to go around the state and educate individuals and community leaders on how the election system works, where the checks and balances are, and the confidence that they can hold that everything in the state of Wisconsin is backed up on paper. Why did you feel it was important to not just join uh, this group, but now be its director in Wisconsin? As you know, I was a vocal critic of people who questioned the election officials in the electoral system. And a friend of a friend um, contacted me to ask me if I would consult and advise Keep Our Republic. I looked into their mission. Um, I spoke with the executive director, and I thought this was a really good fit for me. And so uh, we are just off and running. So what do your fellow Republicans uh, across Wisconsin think about um, this group? Well, nothing different than they thought about me. They appreciated <laughs> my honesty and my openness. And um, this is truly a bipartisan group, and it's not just me. I really want to do, you know, give kudos to my advisory council. When I contacted um, Democrats and Republicans, asking them to serve on this advisory council, they were eager. And both Democrats and Republicans have questions about our electoral system in general. Uh, that election denial is not unique to January 6th people. It's gone on since uh, clearly 2016. And everyone wants to dig in and say, once all eligible voters have voted, once the votes have been cast, once they've been counted, we all need to respect and accept the election results. As you noted uh, just a bit ago, you pushed back on these conspiracies uh, in the 2020 election. What in your mind was the most egregious of those? I think oh, there were so many things. I, I think the individuals that came to the Capitol and the individuals calling to decertify the election and for the, you know, the blazing gun that they found, the smoking gun, that th this was an issue and that was an issue. And in fact, all they needed to do is to go to an election official, ask them questions about the information that they think they have. Um, or the Wisconsin Election Commission and get the factual information behind what they were saying. Um, that was the most frustrating thing is they weren't eager to find out the facts and the truth. They were just gonna disseminate misinformation. It was very frustrating. How do you expect to educate people across the state of Wisconsin about how elections work in Wisconsin? Well, one of the first things I had to do in the first two months that I've served in um, for Keep Our Republic is set up an advisory council. 
and then I had to create a plan. So Pennsylvania, Michigan are also creating plans on how to educate um, their public. In Wisconsin, local government is very important to our um, communities and to the voters of the state of Wisconsin. So the first thing I did is create a plan that involved county clerks, poll workers, uh, municipal clerks, and others within the community to come together and once we have the conversation, educate each other on the electoral system, then they can then disseminate factual information to the voters. With just about a minute left, as former President Donald Trump winds into his re-election campaign, what are your concerns for Wisconsin? My concerns are always the same personally. Keep Our Republic doesn't care who's on the ballot. We are bipartisan and nonpartisan. And so whoever's on the ballot, here's what we plan to do. But it, it doesn't really concern me who's on the ballot. Um, if you know Donald Trump has his legal issues, if Joe Biden or his family have their legal issues, good. That is what our media and our judicial justice system is supposed to do. What we need to do is just listen and watch and learn from all of the candidates running for office, Democrat and Republican, and we want honesty and integrity in the information you give us. It's that simple. All right. We leave it there. Kathy Bernier, thanks so much. Thank you. In environmental news, headlines describe Canada as baking and burning this spring. Canadian wildfires have had their effect here in Wisconsin in this unusually hot, dry June. We've had some relief now, but what scientists call fine particulate matter from the fires can easily get into the lungs and cause serious health problems. We checked in with Craig Zarnecki from the Department of Natural Resources for more. We, since 2012, have not issued uh, an advisory for PM 2.5, uh, the fine particulate matter. We've had four this spring, so we haven't had to issue any in the last, what, 11 years or so. And this spring from the two the wildfires in Western Canada, and now Eastern Canada, we've had uh, four. So it's definitely been an unprecedented spring as far as wildfire impacts here in Wisconsin. Typically, um, we've seen wildfires like this impact uh, Wisconsin with the smoke, usually later in the summer. Um, typically when it's hotter and drier, but that seems to be happening uh, a little bit earlier than usual. And um, that's actually happened the past couple years. And so if there is uh, an air quality alert like that, mm -hmm. uh, describing it as unhealthy for sensitive groups, uh, what should people do? Yeah, so when we have an advisory uh, that's called for unhealthy for sensitive groups, that would include people with like heart and lung ailments or heart disease, lung disease. Um, asthma, things like that, and then other people would include the elderly and young children as well since their lungs are still developing. So when we have an advisory uh, for unhealthy for sensitive groups, we just ask people in those groups to consider uh, shortening their outdoor activities uh, and less intense outdoor activities as well. And then if they are having any symptoms like coughing or shortness of breath, that would be a sign to maybe take a break and take it a little bit easier on those days. So you also monitor for ozone. And what is ozone? So ozone is a combination of a few different pollutants, uh, mainly volatile organic compounds and oxides of nitrogen. So these are two different pollutants. Um, the number one source of those are mobile sources like cars and trucks. And these pollutants react in the atmosphere with heat and sunlight to form ozone. So that's why when those really hot uh, sunny days, that's when we're um, 
typically we're seeing those elevated levels of uh, ozone pollution. And, and what is an elevated level of ozone? What does that do to uh, a person's health? Yep, so again, that would uh, impact folks with uh, breathing issues, asthma, things like that. You're gonna be a little bit more sensitive. You'll, um, you know, you'll feel those. You might have a little shortness of breath, uh, perhaps some coughing and things like that. And did some of those higher levels of ozone uh, that you were monitoring happen earlier as well this year? Yes, we've actually issued, uh, we've had nine ozone advisories so far this spring, which is uh, a little bit higher than normal, although the last few years we have been seeing a, a slight increase in the number of ozone advisories we've been issuing in spring, but we've had uh, nine so far this year, and those have ranged from the unhealthy to sensitive groups uh, to a little bit of that unhealthy level as well. And, and, and meanwhile, those two things kind of happened at the same time, the wildfires and the ozone levels. Yes, this has been uh, a very interesting spring. I know other people in the program, along with myself, haven't really seen a spring like this before. Um, we've had uh, some really, so in mid-May, we had uh, wildfire impacts from out west. Um, and then we had really hot, kind of stagnant weather with a number of ozone advisories issued um, with like this weather blocking pattern that the air just kind of gets stagnant and those pollutants don't have anywhere to go because the conditions are pretty calm. Um, so once that finally blew out, then the wind shifted and now we're getting wildfire smoke or we were getting wildfire smoke from Eastern Canada. So it's just been kind of a really unlucky uh, kind of run of circumstances here that have kind of caused their air quality issues over the past few weeks here. Meanwhile, though, our, our scientists and your agency uh, considering that this could be kind of the new normal going forward or that it could get kind of worse and worse in these ways um, through the years? Um, we are seeing that these wildfire impacts are happening a little bit earlier than they typically have been and that's been the last few years we've been seeing that. Um, again, those hot, dry conditions, those are just lasting longer, um, you know, out west and up in Canada as well. Um, so we don't like to think it's getting worse, but the, you know, the chances of seeing more of these wildfire impacts, you know, seem to be something that this will be more of a, uh, not, not as unusual, I suppose, uh, as it has been in the past. We're seeing these happen a little bit more often with these really hot, really dry conditions here. For more on this and other issues facing Wisconsin, visit our website at pbswisconsin.org and then click on the News tab. That's our program for tonight. I'm Frederica Freiberg. Have a good weekend. Funding for Here and Now is provided by the Focus Fund for Journalism and Friends of PBS Wisconsin.